Hi, I'm Neil Anderson, and welcome to my podcast. This is Return to Real, the Honest Health and Fitness Show. And I need to talk to you about something. Don't turn the don't turn it off. Hold on. Um, I want to talk spirituality today, if we can. In fact, my guest today is an inspiration to me. We went and did a thing on Friday morning at his place where we did a med. Would you call that a guided? Yeah, med- guided meditation. All right. We went and get a guided meditation with Brian Miller. This is my guest today. And I was intrigued by that. And I've been on a spiritual quest now for years. And I'm terrible at it. Of the eight points of health that I've identified, um, spiritual is the one that I struggle with the most. So you got mental, emotional, social, spiritual, um, financial, intellectual, environmental, and physical. I'm really terrible at the spiritual. But I do realize the need for it. And as a matter of fact... I uniquely realize the need for it. I need it probably more than anything. I'm, I'm hitting a certain age where it's becoming important to me. And I realize there's a piece of me that is missing that can't be filled through just the physical. So I've been intrigued with you. I've been talking about it to all my guys. So there's a thing going on. I know you know <clears throat> this, right? There's a thing going on in the world where we're all turning more to the spiritual. And I know this because guys of the 80s, me, mm-hmm for example, are doing this thing now where we're like asking each other questions that we wouldn't even have touched years ago. And we're talking about God. We're talking about what is God. And we've got questions. And my buddy, Rocky Halderman, is like, you got to check out this Brian Miller, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, goodliving.com. Yep. I'm like, cliche. <laughs> <laughs> But also awesome. So I went and checked it out, and I'm impressed. Tell me a little bit about yourself. What is goodliving.com? Well, goodliving.com is is something that I've created. The School for Good Living is something I've created really first as a vehicle for me, you know, as the the way in which I can ask these questions uh, on a regular basis. Because, as you mentioned, um, you know, there's many facets to life. There's many facets to health. And we all have places we're trying to go. We all have places where we are, where we're stuck, you know, this kind of thing. And, and you know, there's a saying, especially in personal growth, about we teach what we need to learn. So, right. So the School for Good Living was first a way for me to ask those questions, but also to invite others into that inquiry. What did you learn? Like, how did you stumble <laughs> across it? Like, how does somebody get to a point <clears throat> where they're now giving help and advice to others? Well, if you look at the questions that our society is asking and you look at what's going on in society with both here in the developed world in America, you know, in, in Europe, uh, and then you look in the developing world, you know, places in South America and Africa, parts of Asia, that uh, it's not hard to see the world isn't working. You know, whether it's people who lack access to clean water or basic sanitation, education, health care, that kind of thing. Decency. Dec- maybe Decency. <laughs> Or here in the developed world where we're dealing with things like depression, anxiety, loneliness, suicide, addiction, divorce, you know. So it's just what flavor of unworkability, you know, are you dealing with? And especially here at home, when you look at how affluent we've become, that we, most of us, are fortunate to live in a home, to have clothes to wear, to have food in the refrigerator, you know, to have a bed and this kind of thing. And so I think it's really natural in some way that when we have so much and yet it doesn't fulfill us, that we're asking 
what else is there? Where for a long time or when you don't have much, it's easy to think, oh, when I reach that milestone, when I accomplish that thing or acquire that thing, then I'll be happy, then I'll be fulfilled. And especially when it's a matter of survival, then that's all you think about. But when you get your college degree or your master's degree or you you know get your mortgage or pay it off, all of a sudden it's easy to think, well, shouldn't the BMW have made me happy? Right. You know? That's what I do. Yeah. I do that a lot. It's very normal. A lot of us do. That's what I'm saying. All my buddies are getting together and we've all gotten to an age where we've accumulated a few things. And every time we accumulate a thing, we think, well, that's cute. But the real thing that I wanted was this. And yeah. then we go accumulate that. And eventually you're, you got to get to a point now where you're like, I don't think that things are doing it. Yeah. For me. Yeah. And especially if you look at the rise of the positive psychology movement, you know, over the last 20, 25 years where this has become a very serious uh, academic and, you know, medical field of medical study of saying, what is it scientifically that we can know beyond, you know, somebody's opinion or somebody's positive thinking about what it means to be healthy psychologically, emotionally, maybe even spiritually that it's not a coincidence that those things are arising now as our material prosperity as a society, you know, expands. Right. So it's, it's, it's all part of if you, if you, I believe, if you stand back and you kind of look at the macro forces in play, it's like, well, of course we'd be here asking these kinds of questions. I read a book recently called The Summer of the Comanche Moon, I think, where the Comanche lived a very simple life mm-hmm. and they were all very happy according to them. And then they got that complicated by the U.S. government, and then they were given choices, and the more choices that they had to make, the the worse maybe they were, the, according to them, mm-hmm. that they were at making those choices. The yeah. choices were the reason that they all became unhappy, and they started warring amongst each other and becoming jealous of this, this one um, Comanche leader built a great big house on the reservation in Oklahoma that they had given him. And he was the only one. And the rest of them always forever had lived in tents and they all had the same tent. Yeah. And eventually they just got these choices and they blame that on choices. Mm. Too many choices makes us unhappy. Yeah. It can be easy to be overwhelmed or confused, you know, by choices. Anybody who studied marketing knows that. You know, there's been a lot of consumer research that shows if, you know, when brands do brand extension or they provide different varieties and thinking sales will go up, often that's not the case, where it can actually, you know, confuse somebody and, and shut them down or turn them off. Um, but what I would say, not, not that you ask this as a question, I don't know that it's the choices, that it's the variety. In fact, I think if you look, choices are a wonderful thing, but if you don't know how to choose if you don't know how to have confidence in what to choose, then it can be overwhelming. But if you think about it, options are wonderful until they're not. But the real question <laughs> is, how do you decide? Right? Yeah. yeah. I wonder how you do. Let's talk about you for a minute. What's your backstory? Well, I'm the youngest of five kids, which is, in my, my opinion, a pretty good place to be, you know, to be the baby, uh, to get the benefit of seeing my older siblings grow up. Um, and to see what my parents had done. So my parents, Larry and Gail Miller, you know, went into business for themselves in 1979 by buying a Toyota store. My dad, uh, especially for people listening to this who are here in Utah, probably know the Larry H. Miller Group of Companies and have seen, you know, the extraordinary results that he produced in his life. He now passed away. It's been 11 years. Uh, our mom continues, 
you know, to be a, a leader in our family and in our business. But having grown up inside that, uh, in that family, in this organization, I realize I'm very blessed, like very blessed in so many ways. And kind of like we're talking about with choices for a long time, I actually felt like I was drowning in opportunity, you know, because I was faced with questions that many people never never get a chance to ask, or if they do, it's later in life. Things like when you have all the money that you want, you know, what do you want? What do you want to buy? When you can basically go anywhere, do anything, how do you decide? Um, when work isn't necessary, you know, I'm fortunate to be in a situation where I don't need to work for a living. I'm, you know, financially independent because of the hard work and sacrifices my parents made. Then it's who are you? Where so much of our identity is tied to our profession. So again, a lot of people would love to have those challenges and, uh, and I've experienced them as very stressful, you know, as very challenging. Um, and that's again, back to the school for good living. Like that was the way that I kind of sorted through all that, you know, for myself. And then I've invited others because I reached a point and this is maybe telling, you know, a long story in a short way, but I reached a point in life where I said, look, I don't know who I am. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know how to know. And, uh, I think I'd rather not exist. And I had suicide attempts when I was a kid, uh, when I was a teenager. And I actually made a decision to end my life about 10 years ago. And, uh, fortunately a friend picked up the phone and was available to play a video game instead of me following through on that, on that plan. So this sense of emptiness, of meaninglessness, of directionlessness uh, was really present in my life for a long time. And uh, I feel very fortunate now to have survived that. In a way, I look back and I, and I think it, it was survival. And then in some way, really endeavoring to you know, live a life of happiness, meaning, and contribution and support others in that. It's an amazing story. Um, brings us right back to the Comanche choices. Yeah. Wow. That brought it home hard for me just now. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's, uh, it's hard for a guy like me to identify with that because all I want is that. Not really, not anymore, but there was a time in my life for sure. All I want is to be put in a position where any choice I make, I'm covered for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's so hard for a guy like me, but I feel you on this Yeah, and it would be a thing. So you reached that point. I'm glad you made it. I'm glad your friend picked up. Thank you. Me too. You reach a point in your life where you're like, I'm going to start finding some meaning. What was your first step? Do you remember it? Like, what was the first thing you did that led you to to being here and and <clears throat> being in charge of that group that I sat in front of the other day and, and, and meditated? Yeah. Well, a lot of it was, it was looking for people from whom I could learn. Um, you know, because clearly what I was doing in life wasn't working. I was experiencing a lot of pain and suffering. And in retrospect, it's pretty easy to see how much, if not all of that was self-created, you know, it was, but isn't that true for all of us? I think so. I, I mean, get people I think that so. are coming into me and I'm not criticizing them. I get it. I do, but they'll come to me like, I don't know what to do. And you're like, well, we got to eat right and exercise. <laughs> yeah. And as simple as that sounds, that really is a boggle for them. Yeah. And it's a valid boggle. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we all face the same challenges in different forms. 
you know, I have this, this idea. And, and although my situation was unique, I think that the essential questions are the same that we all face. Who am I? What do I want? Where am I going? Why am I here? You know, we all, we all deal with those. In fact, you're speaking of the Cherokee. I'm not a deep student of native traditions, but I'm learning more and more. Uh, and one of them I've learned, in fact, I just interviewed someone for my podcast who, who is, uh, Lakota. He's part Lakota. And one of the things that he, he says, he's also a psychiatrist and a healer in the native tradition. And he says, if we don't have answers to those questions, we will be ill. That was, that was this idea from a native tradition that that's essential for us to live a good life and to be healthy, that we have answers to those questions for ourselves, not an inherited answer. Brian, that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. That's what's going on in my life. Like, I get that there's questions that I don't have answers to, and I'm not okay with it. Mm-hmm. But you have to know, like, this isn't my generation. I, I'm the 80s generation. We we kill you just as soon as look at you. That, not really, but that <laughs> yeah. was that was those were my influences. We were the <clears throat> we were the me generation. No. We didn't. We weren't looking for deeper spiritual meaning. We were looking for what can I grab? Yeah. So it's not my generation. We, but here we are. Just like your friend said, your Lakota friend said, if you don't have answers to those, they'll catch up. Yeah. It won't be healthy. Well, you want the good news? Yes, please. <laughs> uh, I think that you do have the answers and that they're inside you. You know? And I think you know that at yeah. some level. I think you know that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and that, I just said that, right? Yeah. That's so funny. It, it hit me. Good. And I, I mean, I can see it in your physiology in that moment. Yeah. Like your face lights up and your posture changed a little bit and, and so forth. And this is a big part of why, again, why I've created the School for Good Living is what I didn't say is that it's a B Corp. So it's not intended to be like most corporations where the focus is maximized shareholder value. There's much more than a profit motive. Oh, I had that this. question coming. Good yeah, job. Yeah. So that, that's one. And then the other is that it's method of, you know, because the School for Good Living is really oriented around three questions. What does it mean to live a good life? How can we do it? How can we help others do it? So those are the, those are the three questions. And, and the answer to that is coaching and helping people find the answers to their own questions within. I just read a book by Dan John. Dan John is one of the most prominent figures in my industry. He's in the strength training side of it, mm-hmm. but that's one of the things he says. He says the the guy who is doing his own coaching has an idiot for coaches. Something like that. I just slaughtered that. <laughs> but I love that thought. We all need help. We all need ideas that will yeah. originate outside of ourselves. And that was that's what you intend to do. That's what the School of Good Living is about good, well, at goodliving.com. But not just the answers outside of ourselves, but you know, in some of this, I'll acknowledge verges perhaps even on the mystical or metaphysical, but there's an idea that, you know, one of the reasons I think we suffer in our society is we have this idea that we are separate and we think I have my, I have a mind and it's distinct from your mind. I'm my own little bubble of consciousness. I have my own memories. I have my own set of knowledge. I have my own vision for the future where this is a fairly Western worldview. There are other traditions, whether they're native or whether there's some Asian views that believe that we share a mind and we all tap into the same mind. So there's where I'm going with all of this. And I, again, I'm acknowledging some of this is maybe very challenging to our traditional worldview, but the idea that all the knowledge that ever exists is available to every one of us in every moment. Now, whether you can access it, whether I can access it or not uh, is another matter, you know, whether that's true is another matter. But I'm less interested personally with whether or not that's true than whether or not it's possible that's true. 
Because if I believe it as a possibility, now it's available to me at least. But if I don't believe it, it's not available to me. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What was this? I remember this as a, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. The guy goes to jail for it. He he went to jail for it. But it was that thing that Oprah got heavy into. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I can't. I'll, was this I'll, Russell Simmons? Was was that the guy that brought people to the little the, the Oh, Jeffrey heated, Epstein? No. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. We could do this all afternoon. I know, uh, right? Okay. Yeah, but it's all about the power of intention. And if you have positive intentions, you can call stuff to yourself, manifestation and intentions and such. I will think of that guy during our break. And I'll, Is this Eckhart Tolle? No, I love Eckhart Tolle. Oh. I read a few of his books. Like I said, I've been on a journey for quite a while. Yeah. It was... Uh, I don't know. I, I can't think of it. I'll, I'll, after the break, I'll come back with it. So, Well, if I may just say one more thing on this point, you know, Please. people listening might be skeptical. And I love that. You know, I, I actually do think of myself as a skeptic as well. But at the same time, if something bumps up against your existing worldview, right, that's, those are the things I think are worth paying particular attention to. You know, this, there's a saying that you can be pretty sure that you've made God in your own image when he hates all the same people you do. Yeah. Right. So this idea that if we're only looking for people who validate our existing set of beliefs, our own worldview, how much growth is available to us? So it can be easy to be skeptical about a belief like I just shared about. Perhaps there is a shared consciousness. Perhaps all of the wisdom of all the ages is available to me. Perhaps my ancestors' memories are even available to me. Like these kinds of things that sound very strange, very uh, not in sync with our scientific rational worldview. But then what I would remind you, and this isn't a reason alone to believe it, but if you look at the history of our civilization, it's the history of being wrong, right? And look at the very scientific method. It's, it's wonderful. It's very useful. It's a tool, but it can never confirm anything definitively. It can only disprove things. So what you're left with in the final analysis is there is no certainty, right? So then what opens up is how do you know what to believe? How do you know what to do? How do you know where to find answers? And maybe that's <laughs> maybe no, that's a sir, place where we I can... would like to go there. Okay, after the break. Would love to find out some of your influences. Okay. How you came to this place where you're at and who meant what to you. And then is it possible to start I know how impossible it's got to sound, but is it possible to start a list of if I were on a journey, where would I start today? Sure. Do you have some thoughts on that? Absolutely. Great. We'll come back with Brian Miller. Goodliving.com is where you can find him and some of these thoughts. You're listening to the Return to Real podcast, Honest Health and Fitness. Welcome back to Return to Real. I'm Neil Anderson in studio today with Brian Miller. Goodliving.com. It's, it's an amazing thing. Spirituality is something that is a little taboo and super, let's just say it, it can be weird. Yeah. Like crystals, jades, there's just a single, there's a thing about it that feels a little hooey and I'm into it. Like I want, I get it. 
I do. I understand. Like this is a piece that's missing from my life. And like you said earlier, the the farther I get from that, the more it pulls me back. It, it won't be denied. Yeah. Um, who are your influences? Who who have you gleaned most from? Well, I think this is probably true for many of us. Uh, first of all, my parents. Well, of course. You, you know, just examples to me of hard work and service and integrity and, you know, so many, so many other things that, that have blessed my life. Everybody admires Larry and Gail Miller. We do. Yeah. Thank you. What, they're what a, they're pretty amazing. A terrific couple. Yeah. I'm, amazing. What a legacy. So, so I would definitely list my parents as uh, influences. I would, I would say when it comes to the path I'm on now in terms of coaching and teaching and writing and so forth, um, it's been something I've been following pretty intensely for the last decade. And for me, it really started with a, with a program I, I did led by Jack Canfield. He's the guy that wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, yeah. sold about a half billion copies Read it, yeah. you know, in all its various forms. And, and I did a nine-month program with him, and, and, and that really confirmed for me that this is what I want to do. You know, I want to continue to learn these principles of personal growth. I want to share them with others. Uh, and then since that time, I've really done what I can to learn as much as I can from many other teachers and coaches and trainers and healers. Um, someone else who's been who's been a big influence on me, and it was easy for me to kind of scoff at from a distance, is Tony Robbins. Yeah. And I went and, uh, you know, became a leader in his organization for a while, helped him produce a couple of his State with Destiny of programs. And just got so much value. I believe he's got a huge heart. Um, so Tony's been a big influence on me. And, and then there's others like um, there's a woman named, um, her name is Lynn Twist. And she wrote a book called The Soul of Money. And she's a, she coaches people on how to conduct philanthropy, you know, effective giving. She also leads journeys into the rainforest. Uh, I've gone with her and her organization three times and been able to spend time with the Achuar tribe in Ecuador and live you know, for weeks at a time in, in the rainforest. And that was transformational. What's that like? You know, it's very, uh, it's very humbling, you know, first of all, and where we go when we fly into Quito and drive South about four hours and get in a plane or a canoe and go into the rainforest for hours, uh, is it's very magical. You know, it's very magical and it's easy, I think, to idealize, you know, something that's so different, like, Oh, just because it's different, it's, special or something but yet being immersed in nature that way it was the first time even though i spent time here in the rocky mountains or you know in idaho and this kind of thing it's a different kind of nature you know and everything is alive um to me the achuar to see that in many ways they live as they have for you know at least hundreds if not thousands of years it's really amazing you know to be able to sleep in their huts with them to wake up at before the sunrise and participate in their tea ceremony, you know, the Wayusa and their dream interpretation. They begin every morning with sharing what do they dream? You know, they do dream interpretation. They, you know, they all have their set roles. It's really beautiful. Really? Yeah. Do they do this as just part of their society or is this, was that a special thing that yeah, you were going it's through? It, it's, they do this every day. It's how they live and, and they live in harmony with nature. They say, you know, this rainforest is, it's our grocery store. It's our pharmacy. It's our hardware store. You know, it's our relation. It's these are our, you know, brothers and sisters. These animals, these plants, and they have this sense, um, unlike our worldview, where you know we think, especially I think a Judeo-Christian view that this earth was given, we were given dominion, we are 
at the pinnacle of this hierarchy and this is ours to exploit. These are resources. That's not how they view. They see they're just another life form, you know, and these things are as sacred as we are. And the harmony that that creates is is really magnificent. That'd be a shocking contrast. Yeah. To how immersed were you? Were you guys staying like tents and hotels, or were you staying right there? With no, it them? was in the in the village. I mean, it was a special invitation that again, Lynn, uh, one of my dear friends and, and teachers, has spent decades um, cultivating relationships with the elders there. And there's only seven thousand members of the Atchewar tribe. It's very small hmm. in millions of acres of rainforest, so it's still pristine. But that uh, gave us the opportunity to stay in their homes, you know, open huts in the rainforest. It's it's really special. It's not the kind of thing you could <laughs> find on Airbnb, you know. I was looking at all your stuff on uh, goodliving.com. Somehow it got down this rabbit hole. You've been a lot of places. Yeah. You've been <clears throat> to the to – the, you've done Eastern studies, it looks like. You've been all over the Himal- Himalayas. Is that yep. right? Yeah. Um, and this is the one you single out as the one that you liked a lot. Well, it made it made a huge uh, impression on me, uh, for sure. And that was actually it was Jack Canfield that introduced me, you know, to Lynn. Uh-huh. And so I learned from her. And then subsequent to that, someone who's been a huge influence in my life lately. There's you know two other people I would mention. One is Sadhguru, who's an he's a Indian teacher. He's actually created an ashram here in Tennessee, of all places. He teaches around the world. He uses social media very effectively to spread messages of uh, consciousness. Spill that for me. Um, it's S-A-D-H-G-U-R-U, Sadhguru. Okay, thank you. He's an amazing teacher. He's very funny. He's very wise. He's also a humanitarian and an environmentalist, so he's not the kind of guy that just you know chants Om and pretends there's no problems in the world, but he's very active in helping people live well. So Sadhguru, he's who I traveled to Tibet and Nepal with. Um, I've traveled with him in India, uh, my wife and I, and he's blessed my life for sure. So Sadhguru is one. And then another is uh, Marshall Goldsmith. So he's considered by many to be the world's foremost leadership coach. He coaches um, Alan Mulally, who ran Boeing and Ford, you know, John Noseworthy, who runs the Mayo Clinic, you know, Jim Kim, who runs the World Bank, like all these huge leaders. And uh, I'm very fortunate that Marshall has chosen me to be part of his MG100, 100 coaches. And, and he's now in the in his 70s, and he's doing a pay it forward, and oh, this yeah. is part of it. So I'm very blessed to to be part of, of his community. I love that. If a person's searching for answers, just searching for themselves, maybe they were where you, you were, and, and I have found myself too in certain times. Mm-hmm. Where do I get started? On this trip to what do we even call it? Are we talking about self-actualization? Are we talking yeah. about what is it, and how do I get started? Well, some people refer to it as a whole, as a, you know, becoming whole. It's just how do I become myself? Um, you might think of it as healthy, uh, this kind of thing. But I think it's really not possible to start anywhere other than where we are. I mean, it sounds so simple, right? But you. You are where you are, wherever that is. And to first of all, you know, honor that, that in some way, you know, everything that you've done or not done has led you to this moment. And in that same way, you know, that will still be true five years from now, 10 years from now, if we're fortunate to still be alive, right? That every action or inaction is contributed to why you are in the situation you're in. 
So just kind of recognizing in some way, although it seems like we're headed somewhere, we're trying to get somewhere, we're already there. We've already arrived in some way. And again, it can be a bit of a mind twist, but when you realize that being and doing are just two sides of a coin, right? I love the way Lao Tzu said this, that the way to do is to be. So the question isn't, I think, so much how do I get somewhere or solve or fix something, but instead, uh, you know, who am I? Like, who, who am I and perhaps what do I want? Because it's easy to, it's relatively easy to know what we don't want. You know, yeah. what's much harder is to know what we, what we do want. But I think that essential question of being is, is first. Who are you? And who do you want to be? How do I answer that? How do I decide who I am? Because that's, you're going to be confused about that. I, I don't know that it's, tr- I mean, some people are and some people aren't, right? Some people are very clear who they are, who they seem to be, right? Yeah. The, what I've learned about this, and I acknowledge I could be wrong, um, is that anything you would use to describe yourself can't possibly express the, the truth or the totality, perhaps the completeness of oh, who you are. That's brilliant. Because generally, if I were to come to that, I would be in a place, if I would come to that question, who am I? I'd be in a place that... I don't want the answer to that. What if you like the answer to that? I wouldn't. No, just knowing myself, I wouldn't like the answer to that. And all that would do is serve to make it worse in my case. Mm. But it does help me to what you just said. It helps me to know that I'm not the totality of who I think I am. Yeah. That helps. That none of us are. Yeah. That, that any, gives me a spark. Yeah. That any word you use to describe yourself, any label, any term, any title is inadequate to, to truly describe it's just a it's just a label, right? And when we start to separate the experience from the the word, the label, the interpretation, the meaning, that's where I think a lot of us get what I would say tripped up or wrapped up in something is thinking that the the uh, the truth is the truth. And that can sound a little strange, but one of my teachers has this saying that I I still think about. He'll say the truth believed is a lie. And you're like, what what does that mean? The truth believed is a lie. And I don't, I'll admit, I don't know exactly what he meant, but he didn't explain it. <laughs> but, but what I think is that there's this level to life that is the experiential level. That is beyond language. That's perhaps beyond comprehension. You, you don't understand experience. You experience experience. And if there's a place we get trapped up, wrapped up, tripped up, it's in trying to make experience mean something. And I'll give you one example to maybe make this a little more concrete. Let's take a marriage. Okay, we take a verb and we turn it into a noun. So we call relating, the act of being related or being married, a marriage. We make it a noun. We take a verb, we make it a noun. And all of a sudden, the moment we make it a noun, we attach all kinds of things to it, right? Preferences, dislikes, frustrations, hopes, expectations, And when this is where I think this is a spiritual process is to recognize that, set it aside, and be in the experience, not in the judgment of the experience or the interpretation or the anticipation or the memory, but in the present moment, right? And that's why when I started, you know, really sharing principles that I think will help people live well, I started with mindfulness because if you're not dealing in the present moment, you're dealing in concept, in abstraction, in idea, Right? And not that there's anything wrong with that. The mind can be very powerful. It's helped us create you know, drugs and build buildings and invent technology. So it can be wonderful. But if we're operating 
from the head without the heart, the essence, the higher self, whatever you would call it. I'm not even sure what to call it. But if all we're operating from is our intellect, we're not as complete. We're not using, I believe, as complete intelligence is available to us. So, Love that. I get a lot of people that live in their labels. Yeah. And at my gym, they'll, they'll come in and they are this thing and they happen to be very ashamed of that thing that they labeled themselves with. Mm-hmm. I wish I could give them the gift of what you just said. Just, just well, be you. Well, just when you do, you do, right? When you live that, you do share that with others yeah. through your example. Yeah. You know? Yeah, what, a, what a strong gift because yeah. a lot of us are looking for that. Yeah. A lot of us live in a world of shame that is put upon us by admittedly ourselves, but it's generally because we bought into somebody else's thinking. Yeah. I think so. Tell me a little bit about meditation. You meditate. We meditated the other day. Yep. And I was interested in in how you did it specifically, Mm. right? We were all kind of in there. Was the whole thing, and I'm just asking, like I don't really understand, and you didn't really say, and I get that that's one of the secrets. Because if you start telling me what that experience is, it kind of isn't my experience. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely meditation can be taught. First of all, I would start by saying, you know, meditation is one of these words that I actually don't like all that much. Oh. You know, it's one of these words like love or God that's so big. It's like, what does it mean? (laughs) You know? And, you know, like I'll talk to people sometimes and they'll say things like, I can't meditate. I'm Christian. (laughs) I'm like, wait, okay. And clearly they have an understanding about meditation that's different from mine, right? So to me, uh, meditation, and there's so many ways to think of it, but I think of it as it's merely a form of concentration. It's learning. There's a there's actually a verse in, in the Bhagavad Gita, you know, an ancient Indian text that talks about meditation as simply the progressive quieting of the fluctuations of the mind. So how can you let the mind be still more and more and not reactive, not a slave to it or to inputs, to stimuli. But how can you be calm, centered, clear, congruent, and not upset by, agitated by, disrupted by whatever's going on in the environment or in the mind? I found myself trying to listen to your words while you were talking. Uh Uh-huh. And I also found myself tuning you out and going super quiet and coming back feeling guilty in mm. the middle of it going, oops, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I, I have yeah. disobeyed my teacher because I have not listened to his words. And somewhere along the line, I was like, I wonder if that's the point. Yeah, that's it. I wonder that's if that's it. the point. Because I mean, it did quiet my mind. I had a vision, a vision for me. Yeah. I was sitting there and I, I just, I, I became so engrossed in this, I call it a download sometimes and it's rare, but I'll get this, this thought that's all the way complete from beginning to end in a second. Mm-hmm. And I can just sit in that and reflect on it. Yeah. And I was beautiful. so excited to have that the other day. And that was uh, like, yeah, it was cool. That's great. Meditation doesn't almost ever, ever, ever work for me. I'm not that guy, mm. but every blue moon, blue moon, I get streaky and something happens. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty normal with my experience as well. But the secret to that is do it more. I don't, I don't know. I mean, this is one thing Sadhguru says. He says, we do not meditate. We become meditative. Right? And this, and this idea of when you think about you can perform the same action with a different motive. You can perform the same action in a different way. You can make dinner and it can just be, you know, I'm a mom. I've got to make dinner for the kids. Or you could prepare dinner and it could be an act of love or an act of service. Right. 
right? So when you recognize that whatever you do from driving your car, sending an email, you know, having a conversation with someone, it can be something that you're investing yourself in, that it's an act of love, it's an act of, you know, your highest self or something, or it can just be, you know, meanwhile, your mind could be somewhere else. So this thing about meditation to me is the act of becoming more congruent so that whatever you're doing, you're doing, you're not anticipating, you know, you're not ruminating, you're, you're in that moment because here's the thing that took me a long time to learn is that I kept thinking again, and this is what my, my mentor, Marshall Goldsmith calls the great Western disease. He, he calls, I'll be happy when, mm-hmm. right? When the kids are grown, when we have kids, when I get married, when I get divorced, when right. I get in college, when I pay off my loan, like whatever, we have this. And this idea of really understanding that if happiness, contentment, joy, or whatever is to be found, it's only going to be found in the present moment, right? I might have a memory of it, but I will only experience it in the present moment. So for a long time, what I did, and this is all the way back to the first part of our conversation, was I started by um, two things, accumulating things and doing things, like a lot of you know material things, clothes, uh, motorcycles, stuff like this, uh, or traveling a lot, like having these really cool experiences. But then what I realized is that alone was not enough to ultimately bring lasting happiness. And I thought, well, maybe if I just learn a lot more. So I'd read like 60 books a year, go to all these seminars, yeah. you know, and then what I realized is that knowledge is just another form of accumulation. And then this is something that I feel like continues to unfold from my learning with Sadhguru is that it's again to deepen experience because in life there's aliveness and there's the things that block aliveness. And when we allow aliveness to be in the present moment and to be deepened and to be expanded, it might not bring lasting happiness, but in the moment, what else is there? You know what I mean? Yes, I do. That hit me pretty hard. It sounds simple, right? <clears throat> I mean, in the moment, it's like, oh, that's simple. <laughs> yeah, but it's complex in its simplicity, for sure. So when you're talking with people and you sit down, you're a coach. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you go? Where do you start with them? What, what do you talk to them about? How does that process work? Well, it's a lot of the same things we've talked about here, which is, what do you want? That's life's operative question. What do you want? And then from there is this exploration of, you know, and a lot of this is tied up in identity to, well, who are you? Are you allowed to have that thing? You know, this kind of stuff. So there's some aspect are of it that's qualified? identity. Are you qualified? Are you qualified? What's holding you back? Yeah. What, do you, what, ha- what do you have to have to do it? But what do you want is the fundamental question in different ways, right? Because if somebody, people come to coaches only for one of two reasons. There's something in their life they don't want. Or so they, they have something that they no longer want or they don't yet have something they do want. It's pretty simple to start to diagnose that and then frame it into the affirmative of saying, okay, let's, we're not going to deal with what you don't want anymore. We're going to talk about what you do want. We're going to articulate that as clearly as possible. What then follows once we have clarity about that is about emotion, right? Because emotion is fuel for human beings and saying, okay, there's, if you don't, if you say you want that, you don't already have it. One of two things is true. Either you have an emotion that's holding you back or you don't have an emotion that would propel you forward. So then we get into what are these patterns of behavior and emotion that are going to help you achieve that thing or experience or create that thing. And, you know, it's easy to talk about at a high level, but it starts to get real, you know, in somebody's life in whatever area, you know, one of those eight areas of health or in love or in finance or whatever. 
you know, but it's individual and it's just a series of, it's really a series of questions. And it's very beautiful because the answers come from you. I've always noticed that with fitness. I never had to coach a single soul. They already knew what to do. They knew what their problem was and they knew what the hole was. Yeah. And I didn't have to fill it. I just had to make sure they filled it themselves. That yeah. is, that's interesting. What's in the future? What are you, what are you up to next? What's um, coming? So publishing my book, Life's Best Practices. Yeah. So that will be published in the next year. Congratulations. Thank you. Big deal. Can't wait to read it. Yeah. I'm excited about that. And I'm also, uh, you know, I'm doing this now, this nine month online personal leadership program that helps people to find design and live a good life. Again, according to them, I just have questions and a process and a community, right? But people get to create that for themselves. So I'm offering that now and the future is, um, you know, inviting more people to participate in that. I also have a coach training program where I'm helping people help others live a good life through coaching, right? That's kind of my thing. I, I figure rather than getting attached to any specific cause, you know, where heaven knows there's so much need in the world that I figure what's common to all of them is consciousness. And I think coaching is the way that we can help people raise consciousness. So training more coaches and then beyond that, just continuing to interview authors for the School for Good Living podcast, you know, spending time with the family, spending time working on my my health and fitness, Yeah, you know, coming yeah. check out your place. I hope you do. Yeah. Please uh, come. I will. It, it'd be a pleasure to see you. It yeah. would be a blast. And in fact, that goes for anybody that's listening to this. How do folks find you to get started in, in something they might be interested in? So people can visit goodliving.com. Uh, people can also visit brianmiller.com. And I invite them, if, if they've listened this far, um, although there's no information on either of those sites about Mindfulness Morning, uh, if you email me at brian at brianmiller.com, that's with a Y, uh, I would be glad to extend that invitation to you to come join us in person here in Salt Lake City for a Mindfulness Morning and to stay connected as I have podcast releases and inspirational emails every week and invitations to events like that. Yeah, I've enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for coming. Me too. Thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah. Folks, you've been listening to Return to Real. I'm Neil Anderson. That was Honest Health and Fitness. Thank you.